Um, if you have come this evening uh, hoping to hear of the results of the nominations, I'm going to have to disappoint you. Um, here's, here's where we are. You did a wonderful job in the nominating process, and we have numerous candidates. But uh, we had to contact those candidates and then give them some time to pray through whether or not they wanted to accept their nominations. And so we're still waiting for them to get back in touch with us, and then I gave them to uh, Friday afternoon at noon. It will not be in the bulletin, but we will, Lord willing, be able to announce the uh, list of uh, candidates on Sunday morning. So if you were wondering uh, if you were going to hear that, you're not tonight, but uh, we'll, as soon as we can get their responses, then we're, we'll get it to you. <clears throat> Tonight we're going to do a couple of things. Um, one, I know you won't believe this, but we're going to finish Galatians 4. Ha! Take that. <clears throat> the other thing that we're going to do is finish this little excursion into the whole subject of suffering. Um, and, and I'm really excited to get to that part, and we will in just a minute, but um, many of you know that my... One of my heroes is Martin Lloyd-Jones, and Martin Lloyd-Jones um, makes very clear and uh, states very clearly that the best counseling comes from the pulpit. Um, I believe that. I believe ultimately that the, uh, the word uh, rightly taught and understood and applied is, is the best counseling you can get. Um, I'm not sure you're going to get that tonight, but I'm telling you, if, if I... Um, if I can handle this with some degree of aplomb, um, there is some really good, rich stuff for us. Okay, now first of all, let me um, let me wrap up uh, Galatians chapter four. Um, you'll recall that we were at verse twenty-nine of Galatians four, and that's where we launched into this excursus on um, on suffering. I want to read you just the rest of the chapter in, um, in Galatians 4. It is very brief. Um, it's in verse 30. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Now, guys, you may not remember, but this is all based on an... Um, uh, on a metaphor that he introduced way back in verse 24. It's that story in, in Genesis chapter 21 about uh, Abraham and Sarah who weren't having a baby, and so she gave him Hagar, and she got him pregnant, and yada, yada, yada. That's the story on which this is all based. And um, this, so his, his final little reference to that story says, uh, cast out the slave woman and, um, and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. That is something that is said by Sarah. In Genesis 21, verse 10, Sarah says those words to Abraham about Hagar and Ishmael. Get rid of them. Now, the, the one thing that I would have you to note is, and notice that was said by Sarah, but Paul says in verse 30, but what does the scripture say? Paul identifies what Sarah said, even in its ugliness, as scripture. What Sarah said 
under the inspiration of the, I mean, or included by Moses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Even that, that erroneous statement made by, not erroneous, but a harsh statement made by uh, Sarah is included in that which is called Scripture. He's quoting it as Scripture. <clears throat> and notice what she's saying. Um, she's saying that those who are a part of the slaves, that is the slave woman, Ishmael and his descendants, they are to be cast out. Um, all those who are um, descendants of the line of um, Hagar, Ishmael, they are sons of slaves, they are sons of the law, and they will ultimately be cast out, out of the house of God forever. What Paul is doing with these two little, this one little statement in verse 30 is that he is sounding the death knell for Judaism. All those who are sons of the law will be cast out. And then he closes um, his argument with, with something that he said. Actually, he said it um, in verse 28. He said this, this is really his theme. We Christians, brothers, we're not children of the slave, but we're children of the free woman. It's that contrast between law and grace, which you see being finally <clears throat> concluded in that statement um, as he wraps up his argument concerning who we are. In essence, Paul has completed his discussion of the indicatives. When we get to chapter 5, he will start with his imperatives, which we mentioned again and again and again in this room. So, but um, chapter 5 won't come until January uh, sometime, maybe. <coughs> maybe April, <laughs> but we'll see. <clears throat> All right, now, guys, uh, that kind of concludes those two little summary comments in Galatians 4. As most of you know, I've spent five weeks on a little um, trip uh, into this subject of, of suffering. I've tried to give you um, a picture of what the Bible has to say about the whole subject. We came to verse 29 where persecution is mentioned, and I use that as a springboard to try and tell you um, some of the, the fullness and the completeness of what God has to say about the issue of suffering. One of the major distinctions that I made is suffering that is brought on by my own sinful choices. Um, and as a, uh, in that brand, we looked at the book of Lamentations, you may recall. Lamentations is written by Jeremiah, and he is uh, giving voice to his lament concerning Israel's choice to, the, to forsake Yahweh, and the consequences of that are outlined for you in the book of Lamentations. You, uh, we have other examples like David and Bathsheba, uh, Jonah, and the, and the story about Jonah and the whale, you know that one. So that was one of the broad sections concerning this whole issue of suffering, suffering that's brought on by my own sin. Then last week, I tried to make a distinction between that brand and this other brand, where there are numerous reasons why God authors a set of circumstances and brings them into our lives. 
um, situations that produce his own glory, like John 9 and the man who's born blind. <clears throat> or even Joseph, who was, um, who was made a slave in Egypt, not because of his own sin, but ultimately so that he could become the deliverer of, uh, of a, uh, a world that was starving and in famine. <clears throat> now, and of course, there's this other brand of, um, of just persecution. Um, the, the sons of Ishmael, who do not like the sons of Isaac. <clears throat> you know, um, I was surprised to find out how many of our staff <clears throat> knew the name Jen Hatmaker. <clears throat> you know that if you know that name of Jen Hatmaker, she's in quite a controversy right now because of uh, her statements about same-sex marriage, and she has come out in favor of same-sex marriage. She and her husband, this is all unfolding in the, um, in the blogosphere, Rosaria answered her in a way that was just absolutely precious. They replied, that is, Jen and her husband. But one of the things that happened is that Lifeway Christian bookstores took her books out of their, li- their, their bookstores. <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm telling you this story because of that. Lifeway took her books out, and you cannot imagine the, um, the reaction of the um, LGBT community to Lifeway Bookstore's decision to take Jen Hackmaker's books out of, her, uh, out of their library, out of their bookstores. <clears throat> it is an example, I think, of this very same thing that, that Paul warns us about in, in um, Galatians 4, verse 29. That the sons of, Isaac, the sons of Ishmael uh, are going to um, do all that they can to um, treat harshly the sons of Isaac. All right. So that's what we looked at for um, five weeks. <clears throat> As we uh, wrap this up, I want to do this. I want to I want to ask a question, and then I want to offer you an answer. And I'm I'm saying to you, not because I'm saying these things, but this is some of the best counsel you're going to get. Simply because um, the question is simply this. Um, how does the gospel serve us? How does the gospel serve us practically in our times of suffering? What difference will the gospel make in the periods where I'm suffering for whatever reason? And I'm saying to you that it'll make all the difference in the world. So my friends, you need to listen. Because I'm telling you, I think this is as true. Um, uh, an analysis of what happens to us. <clears throat> as, um, well, hopefully. All right. So how does the gospel serve us? Practically speaking, in the midst of our suffering. <clears throat> well, obviously, the, the first reply would simply be um, that the first thing that you must do is believe that gospel, okay? We're going to assume for a moment that that's something that's already been done. Now, what do I mean when I say 
you must believe this gospel. Well, there's a couple of things that I, I, I want to outline for you that are included. First of all, <clears throat> if you are someone that understands the gospel, you are someone who knows that your standing with God is completely undeserved. Okay, that's the first thing you know. The second thing that you know is that um, because of the message of the gospel, that you are completely accepted and forgiven because of what God has done for you in Christ. <clears throat> so when I say the first thing that you've got to do is believe the gospel, I am assuming those two things. That my position is undeserved, and that I'm totally forgiven because of what Christ has done. <clears throat> um, if I misunderstand or <clears throat> even forget the gospel, <clears throat> there's going to be a couple of things that are going to be true of you. Um, first of all, there's going to be a mindset that my standing with God is something that I work for to earn. That ultimately God is going to love me based on how I um, perform for him. That's, that's part of not believing this gospel. The other part of that is that because you're thinking that this has something to do with your earnings, that you're never going to be quite sure that you're accepted. Um, you're never, you're always going to be wondering whether indeed am I really loved. Okay, I'm asking, how does the gospel serve us? And I'm saying that what I mean by that is <clears throat> the gospel that tells me that everything that I have is undeserved and that I'm accepted in the beloved as opposed to a misunderstanding of the gospel or forgetting it where I'm always thinking that my standing is based on how well I'm doing and I'm never really ever quite sure that God really does love me. All right, you got that? All right, how does that gospel serve me in the midst of my own pain? Guys, <clears throat> People who forget the provisions of the gospel have three big problems. Three big issues. Anger, guilt, and anxiety. <clears throat> Let me explain. Um, if I forget the gospel, I, there's three things that I'm going to emotionally wrestle with. First of all, anger. Why would God do this to me when I'm performing so wonderfully for him? I've been living a pretty good life in my estimation. And so the suffering comes. And so my, my natural reaction to that is, why should I be experiencing this? It's not right. It's not fair. Um, and... I'm angry that I'm in it, and I'm angry at the situation, and I'm angry at God for not doing something about it. You feel that you really deserve a better life. 
And that's going to lead to um, a fair amount of bitterness. Just like you see in the parable of the prodigal son and the elder brother. I've been serving you for years, says the elder brother. Where is my blessing? He said, I don't have blessing, I got pain. So that's the first thing that you deal with. If you forget the provisions of the gospel. Anger. Second thing, guilt. Anger, because I feel like I've been doing pretty well. Guilt, because I know I haven't been doing very well. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly ashamed about some of the things that I've done in my past or some of the things that I didn't do in my past that I was supposed to. And so my guilt fixates me on my past. Um, I'm feeling that what I'm experiencing in the midst of my suffering is that God has come to get me. He's after me. Based on my performance in the past, God's angry with me. Now, guys, you may be a real modern person here tonight, and by that I mean this. Um, you You don't believe in absolute moral values, uh, or moral uh, commands. You're a, you're a relativist, and you, th- you say, nobody's going to put their guilt on me. Okay, fine. Um, then, then, then I challenge you simply to go to the 550 websites that will help you deal with your shame over what you did in the past. I don't care what you call it. I don't care what kind of term you want to use. But if you fail to remember the provisions of the gospel, you're dealing with guilt slash shame. Okay? Um, And because of my guilt, I'm fixated on my past. It, it, It focuses me on things that I should have done or shouldn't have done. And so all of my energies for enjoying life presently dissipates. That's my second problem. Anger, guilt. My third one is anxiety. My anxiety orients me to, my, to the future. Since I've been trying to earn God's favor, I'm always struggling with a, with a sense of, have I done enough? <clears throat> um, there's an insecurity that comes along with my, um, my anxiety because I think you're supposed to earn this And I don't know that I've done enough to earn these things. So, in my guilt, I hate me. In my anxiety, I'm angry with God. And in my anger, I'm I'm venting that on, on the God who is not giving me what I think I deserve. So, my past, I cannot undo. My future, I cannot control. So my present is hopeless. I can't do anything about my past. 
I'm very anxious about my future. And I'm just angry about my present situation. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what you'll pay $135 for some clinical psychologist to tell you is called depression. I'm hung up about my past. I'm very fearful about my future. And I'm angry about it all. All of that brought on because I did not apply the provisions of the gospel to my situation. The gospel comes in and has addresses all of those things. My anger, my guilt, and my anxiety. First, my guilt. Um, we know. Now, by, by the way, <clears throat> this is someone who is remembering and applying the gospel to his pain. Um, I know that what I deserve eternally is to be lost forever. But because of the gospel, I am being told that I'm not going to get what I deserve. That eliminates self-pity and anger. But it also addresses this fixation that I have on my failures from the past. Um, also, I know that God could not be punishing me for my sin. Since Jesus Christ has already paid for my sins and God is not, is not going to get paid for them twice. That means that whatever suffering that I'm experiencing is not because God is angry with me. It means that there's something that... I forget who said this, but in the midst of my pain, God is putting his finger on my idols. In my pain, God is putting his finger on my idols. So there's instruction involved. Spurgeon said, there is no university for the Christian like, this, like sorrow and trial. So in terms of my guilt, I don't wrestle with that because of the provisions of the gospel. Um, the good news is that Jesus Christ, according to the gospel, has delivered me from my sins, so the guilt of my past need no longer torture me. I wish you would get that. Just that. We are not children of a slave woman. We're sons and we're set free. 
So I'm not fixated on my past. Uh, what about my anxiety? Based on, again, I'm asking, how does the gospel serve me, practically speaking, in the midst of my sorrow or pain? Secondly, based on Christ's finished work, the verdict about me is already in. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my privilege and honor to announce to you that the question, have I done enough, should never be uttered from the lips of the Christian. Can I answer your question for you? Have I done enough? Here's the answer. No. You haven't done near enough. But that, ladies and gentlemen, is not to apply the gospel. To apply the gospel is to never let that question come out of my mouth. Have I done enough? No. But the gospel states that Jesus has. <clears throat> it is the gospel that frees me from this ludicrous, unnecessary quest to do enough so that I can feel quieted. Ladies and gentlemen, if you remain on that quest, you will never be quieted. Peace will mock you. And then, in terms of my anger, <clears throat> guys, um, what I deserve is condemnation. But I'm not going to get that. And because I am a son and not a slave, whatever he sends me is for my good. Now, guys, um, I've only got about nine minutes left, and I want to do two quick things. I want you to go to the book of Romans, chapter 5, and I think we can do this pretty fast. All I'm trying to do is to help you learn how the gospel will serve you in the midst of the disorientation of your own pain. <clears throat> Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he adds a statement in verse 2, uh, 3, and we've also been ordained, etc., etc. Now, verse 3. <clears throat> More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. How, how can you do that, Paul? How can you make a, an asinine statement such as that? Because of what he said in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by, by faith, we have peace with God. 
what I deserved and what I'm going to get are two different things. So anger? Oh, no, no, no. I rejoice in my sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Guys, all of us have to make it to the end. If you decide tomorrow that these things that you've said about Jesus you no longer believe, that just means that you weren't a Christian tonight. But suffering has a unique way of producing endurance, and endurance produces character. Oh, we are all a little short on that. And then character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into the hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Given to whom? Those who have been justified by faith. And so what this God is doing is giving me something to produce this. Why would I ever be angry over that? Remember what Spurgeon said, I I quoted him last week, nothing is quite as good as health, except, of course, a little bit of sickness. And it's in that little bit of sickness, ladies and gentlemen, that God is is producing greater character, a greater determination to endure, hope. And he is um, pouring into our hearts. I mean, uh, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's why he rejoices. And guys, the reason that we don't is because we do not readily apply the gospel to our circumstances. It's our pain that makes us tend to forget these provisions. That everything I have is undeserved. And that every failing that I have ever performed has been paid for. I'm not made right by performing well. And I don't deserve a life free from pain. Now guys, I'm going to close by reading you a letter. It's a letter written by John Newton. You know, the guy that wrote Amazing Grace. Um, you, you know something about his past. He was, you know, a slave trader and all that business. But he's writing to a man who's his friend who has a sister who is in some kind of... It never identifies the suffering. This is taken, by the way, from a book called The Letters of John Newton. This is one of his letters. Now, as I read it, 
see if you hear anything that smacks of anger or anxiety or guilt. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, the Christian church is emotionally ill. Because we have subscribed to a gospel that we do not apply. And I'm not saying you're not going to heaven. I believe you are. But a lot of our mental illness is unnecessary. And it usually comes to the top in the midst of our pain. And we start thinking, oh, God is after me because I did that. And, you know, all this business. And I want to say, stop, 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 stop. Did you forget? Or do you just not know? Listen to this. Um, I wish I could write something like this. <clears throat> Your sister is much upon my mind. Her illness grieves me. Were it in my power, I would quickly remove it. The Lord can, and I hope will, when it has answered the end for which he sent it. I trust he has brought her to us for good. I wish you may be enabled to leave her and yourself and all your concerns in his hands. He has a sovereign right to do with us as he pleases. And if we consider what we are, surely we shall confess we have no reason to complain. And to those who seek him, his sovereignty is exercised in a way of grace. All shall work together for good. Everything is needful that he sins. Nothing can be needful that he withholds. You have need of endurance. And if you ask, the Lord will give it. But there can be no settled peace till our will is in a measure subdued. Look upon him as a physician who has graciously undertaken to heal your soul of the worst disease. Sin. Yield to his prescriptions and <clears throat> fight against every thought that would represent it as desirable to be permitted to choose for yourself. When you cannot see your way, be satisfied that he is your leader. When your spirit is overwhelmed within you, he knows your path. He will not leave you to sink. He has appointed seasons of refreshment, and you shall find that he does not forget you. Above all, Keep close to the throne of grace. If we seem to get no good by attempting to draw near him, we may be sure we shall get none by keeping away from him. That is a pastor 
who has applied the gospel to the suffering of one of his church members. That is counsel, ladies and gentlemen, that is far better than what you're paying $125 an hour to get. Oh, that you would get that kind of counsel from your pastor, but he's not that smart. I'm simply pleading with you, ladies and gentlemen, we believe in a gospel that tells us nothing we have is earned. And everything that we have done to violate his law has been paid for. Now in the midst of your pain, go back and remind yourself of that gospel. And you will find that it will serve you well. And maybe we might avoid some of the depression that we're in. Our Father, um, the information is wonderful. It's wonderful not because it's mine. It's wonderful because it's the gospel. And I pray that you will use it to refresh your people, people who deal even tonight with guilt and anxiety about their futures, people who are angry with you because they feel like they've gotten a raw deal, people who are guilty because they simply cannot ever let go of that thing that they did years ago. Would you teach them at the base of their soul the provisions of the gospel for us who are so undeserving? Might we find the refreshments, the, um, the medicines that come from the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Use these thoughts, O oh God, to encourage your people might we all find ourselves growing in endurance, in character, and in hope. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.